Why does the Holy Spirit move and continue to move in our life? And we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. And I will bring out two foundational truths from this chapter. One is that the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit moved to fulfill God's mission. And the second thing is that the Holy Spirit moved people to fulfill God's mission. First is that the Holy Spirit moved to fulfill God's mission, partnering with God and Christ. And the second thing is that the Holy Spirit is going to partner with you and I to fulfill God's mission. So are you ready to be moved by the Holy Spirit this morning? Yes. Let's look at Acts chapter 4. Now as you are flipping through the Bible, this is the series, the beginning of the church, how the church began, and the indispensable role of the Holy Spirit in starting the church. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, there cannot be a church. I'm reminding you again, this is the fourth in the series. If you're watching from around the world, um, you can go to app, Google Play, download our uh, church app and follow our sermon notes there. Right. So the movement of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 4. When you read, the, the Word of God started here. Now as they spoke to the people and the priest, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon, came upon them. And being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So let's stop there. And being greatly disturbed. The word here is grieved. In fact, it is greatly offended. Now, the translation is like uh, laboriously working out and toiling. Um, My wife and I uh, work out at the Y. So when we're working out, like uh, body attack or uh, boot camp, uh, you know, my, my instructor and others, they have like six packs, right? Uh, but your pastor, he stands out. You know why? Because he has one pack. <laughs> but when you're working out there and you're running, I mean, when you stop working out, what do you do? You are breathing so hard. You're breathing so hard. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm breathing hard. That's the translation here about being disturbed. That you are working out so hard, laboring so hard, you can see what it looks like. That they were greatly grieved and disturbed. Why? Because Peter and John was preaching in Jesus. There is resurrection of the death. See, resurrection is a game changer. Resurrection changed everything. The Holy Spirit came because of resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the movement of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit is a complement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It completes the resurrection. So here, who are they teaching to? Especially the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. 
And Peter and John are preaching, no, in Jesus Christ, there is resurrection of the dead. The whole faith of many of you that sits here this morning, if there is no resurrection, your faith is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Our faith is in vain if there is no resurrection of the death. John and Peter, especially Peter, Peter is bringing out that God sent His Son to die for us on the cross. And then He resurrected from the death. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and he took, your, he took your sin, your mistakes upon himself, crucified on the cross, buried and rose again. If you believe in this, and if you believe that he is the Son of God, then you will be saved. You will be saved. And God loves you absolutely. That's why he sent his son. And now he is sending the Holy Spirit to do what? To fulfill God's mission. The Holy Spirit came to fulfill that mission. So we're going to look at those, the part of the Holy Spirit, our part. And I want you to stay with me so we can sail with the Holy Spirit this morning. So the gospel is already offensive to people. Right? How offensive it is? Laboriously. Like working out, raging and pending they're raging against God. They're plotting against the Lord. It's offensive already. The gospel by itself is offensive already. What I want our church, Santa Clara First Baptist Church, is that you will not add your own agenda and motive in the gospel to make it more offensive. Just preach the gospel. Just preach Jesus. It is enough. Do not add any more to it, to the gospel that is offensive to the world already. So does that mean that we should not preach the gospel? Does that mean we should not share the good news to other people? No, no, no. Forbid it not. Because you read here in verse 4. However many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the man came to be about 5,000. The Holy Spirit moves the heart of people. See? First is, the Holy Spirit came to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit moves the heart of people. Even though the gospel is offensive, when the Spirit of the Lord moves with the Word, it can move the heart of people. In this case, 5,000 people's heart were moved. To where? To God. To where? To Jesus Christ. And we need the Holy Spirit to move the heart of people. 5,000 people. How does the Holy Spirit of God move? Even in the old, it moves. You go back to Ezra. And when you read Ezra, the, the Spirit of the Lord moved whom? Cyrus. King Cyrus to free the Jewish people to go back and build the temple. The Holy Spirit moved the heart 
of a king to release people from captivity. And not only that, the Spirit of God moved the people to build the temple. It is God who moves our heart. It is God who moves your heart to be a part of the kingdom of God. To be a part of building the kingdom of God. It is the Holy Spirit that will move your leader, your CEO, your company uh, leaders that you've been praying and having difficult relationship and you don't know where to go. You go to the Holy Spirit. You go to God and pray so He can move the heart of people to do righteous things, to do great things, to do the right thing. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to move the heart of people. And I want to talk about here one more thing. See, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, because people have come now asking, uh, oh, in what power, in what name, in whose name you are doing this? This is going back to Acts chapter 3, when Peter is healing or healed the lame beggar. They were sitting by the roadside every day being laid there on the street to catch the attention of people. And Peter had prayed in the name of God, charged him in the name of Jesus Christ and healed him. So the rulers, the Sadducees, the captain of the temple, they have come and said, by what power you do this? In whose name you are doing this? And Peter is answering, if we are being called an account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed. We did this in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We did this in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified and who was raised from the dead by God. We did in his name. You see, I want to... Bring briefly again the word act of kindness here. Because what was the lame beggar doing on the road? He was begging for alms. He was begging for money. Every day he has been begging for money. He, has, he was born lame. But I mentioned to you last sermon that there is a greater act of giving than giving money, than giving silver and gold. And what is that? It is kindness. Because kindness requires our body, requires our whole body, we have to participate. It, sh- it requires action. How? In this case, in, the, in that story, Peter had to stretch out his hand and pick up the hand of the crippled man and lift him up so he can walk. That is act of kindness. It is more than giving money. It is more than writing a check and sending to somebody that is in need. It is more than sending money to those who are anxious, to those who have depression, to those who are struggling, and just write a check and send it to them. It is more than that. Act of kindness is God sending His Son to earth to die for us. And to dwell with us, to fellowship with us, to teach with us. That is act of kindness. They are charged for act of kindness. For God's absolute love. 
And the rulers and the priests and the Sadducees and the captain of the temple, they were asking, in whose name you do this act of kindness? In whose name you are doing this act of kindness? And Peter said, we do it in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And God is calling us for an act of kindness. God is calling us to involve us in act of kindness. Not that writing a check is not good. It's absolutely good. Keep on doing that. But there is a greater, greater act in charity. That is act of loving kindness. And he calls us to act of loving kindness. And if we as a church are involved in act of kindness, then people are going to come to you and I and say, in whose name are you doing this? By what power are you doing this? Amen. Somebody give her a hand. Yes. Because our church is all about Jesus. And the healed, the word healed there. This is sozo. It's the rule word soterio, which is salvation. It means wholeness and wellness. And this act of kindness can bring wholeness and wellness to your friends, to your families, to me, and to you. Is the word of God sinking in? Yes. As I was praying this morning, I got up around 4.30 and I started praying for you guys. And one line came to me. The deeper you go into the Word, the richer your life will be. Right? One sentence. Tell your church, the deeper you dig, go into the Word, the richer your life will be. So, is the Word of God seeping in? May the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go on here. Because one thing here. And... Here, in verse 13, and they saw the boldness. Okay, let's stop there. The word boldness there. Okay, The word boldness in Greek on this one is a translation of freedom of speaking. Freedom of speaking with confidence. It's not the boldness of daring to do uh, uh, bold things. In this case, it's freedom of speaking with boldness. Right? So when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. Let's stop there. The word uneducated in Greek is uh, idiota. Right? Which is like uh, idiot. <laughs> so, um, the, well, I hope they were not offended, but God probably put together a bunch of idiots to change the world. And I am part of the idiot. Okay? And I'm here standing in front of so many smart people. And I'm happy to be here to boldly, freely speak with confidence as an idiot, untrained in letter, untrained in the school of rabbinic, rabbinical school of Hillel and Shammai. There are two schools. At that time, one was led by Hillel, one was led by Shammai. And the Shammai were more conservative than the Hillel. They were not trained and lettered in these two rabbinical schools. 
This is the same thing, same word that was used to Jesus Christ. When you read in John chapter 10, when they heard Christ teaching, Jesus teaching to the multitude and the crowd, what did they say? Where did they get, where did he get this knowledge? He is an unlettered, unlearned man. He didn't go to school. You do not need diploma, degree, and certificate to bring glory to God. But what you need is to be filled by the Holy Spirit. But what you need is the Holy Spirit. Because, and they marveled. They were astonished at the teaching of Peter. And they realized they had been with This is so important. When you're out there in the world, can people recognize that you have been with Jesus? Can they point to Jesus because of you? Because the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. That's the work that He does. He came, He moved, He continues to move because He points people to Jesus. When the multitude, when the multitude ran to Peter and John, when the multitude ran to Peter and John at Solomon's porch, because they have heard that this lame beggar was healed, what did Peter do? He pointed the people to Jesus Christ. The second thing is the rulers, the priests, the captains of the, uh, the temple, they looked at them, they listened to their a foundational truth that Jesus is the Son of God. He was crucified. He was resurrected from the dead. If you believe in Him, you will receive salvation. And they were astonished. They marveled. And then they realized they have been with Jesus. These uneducated, unlettered, untrained people have been with Jesus. And they marveled. Marveled. Marvelous. Have you been with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus this week? Were you with Jesus this week? Did somebody came to you and say, Yeah, I know you. You've been with Jesus. This is not just New Testament. When you go to Exodus 14, right, and 15, what happens is, God called Moses to come up to the mountain. He went up to the mountain and spent time with God for how many days? 40 days and 40 nights. When he came down from the mountain, the radiance of the face of Moses was so bright. It shone so bright that people were afraid to look on his face. Look at his face. Why? He has been with God. And the people knew that Moses was with God. When you spend time reading the Word of God and praying, and when you spend time with God, people will know that you have been with God and you have been with Jesus. This is not just for Moses. This is not just for Peter and John. It's for all of us. The one who sits 
and spend times with God, the one who lingers in the presence of the Lord, people will surely know you have been with God. You have been with Jesus. This is not a magic. This is not a formula. It's God's contagious power that, tra- that is transferred upon us when we spend time with Him. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice. So we have looked at the, the part of the Holy Spirit. It's that he, uh, he proclaims Jesus. He moves the heart of people to Jesus. And then they point people to Jesus Christ. Now we're looking at, at our part. Okay? So we have looked at the part of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at our part. What happens is, when they heard that they lifted, they lifted up their voice with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. When people heard what Peter said, what was the first response from the people? They sang. It was a song. The Holy Spirit moves people and awakens us through song. And this is important, so I want to go back to the Deuteronomy chapter 32. And God told Moses, I want you to write down this song. Right? I want you to write down this song, and this song will be a witness against the people that I am the one that brought them out of Egypt and gave them this promised land. This song will be that witness. And that evening, the inspired song, Moses taught Israelite that song. God used song for completion of his work. And Deuteronomy 33 is the song. Is the song. It's, I will sing, I will proclaim to the great God. Ascribe greatness to the Lord because His ways are perfect. He is the rock. In Him there is justice. When you read uh, Deuteronomy 33, it ends with rejoice, O Gentiles. The atonement of the sin, you will be found in the Savior. This is the song. It's a long song that was written and taught on that day. So it will be a covenant between the people and God. The Holy Spirit moved, in this case, at Solomon's porch. They sang a song. And what was that song? It was a song from Psalms chapter 2. Why do the nation rage against God? Why do they plot in vain against the Lord? When you read in Acts chapter 15, to verse 20, it was the ruler, the priests, Sadducees, and the captain of the temple. They came together. They converged together. And they said, what shall we do with Peter and John? It was an appropriate song. Talking about the world conspiring with God. And the Lord looks down from heaven and looks at the folly of human beings and smiles at them. That was the song they were singing. Who were singing? The multitude. The multitude were singing that song. Psalms 2. And the Spirit of God was moving. Because a song is a completion. A song is a prophecy. And the Spirit of God can move us a song. It points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back. We sang the song already. So, in Exodus fourteen fifteen, When they were going to cross the Red Sea... What happens there? God's giving instruction to Moses what to do so they can cross on the dry ground. 
It says in some Jewish tradition that everyone that crossed the Red Sea on a dry ground, these words were on their mouth. This is my God and I will worship Him. This is my God and I will worship Him. In fact, when they crossed over, they wanted to praise God so much through songs. And Exodus 15 is one of the first songs that is recorded in the Bible. What did the song say? We will exhort the name of God who has subdued the riders and the horses. In Him there is salvation. Our God is a great warrior. His loving kindness is for everyone. Exodus 15. Marvelous song. When did they sing? They sang that after they crossed the Red Sea. It starts with, This is my God. I will sing gloriously to His name. If you ask a Jew at that time, even the kid sitting on the lap of a mother. Because sometimes when we ask the kids, who is your mom, who is your dad? They may not speak to you, but they will point. Right? Point. Every Jew at that time was able to raise their finger and say, this is my God and I will worship Him. There was no one that didn't know God. They sang that song as they crossed the Red Sea. This is my God, and I will worship Him. When you raise your finger, my friends, is it pointing to God or pointing to people? You're pointing to God to praise Him, or you're pointing at people against them. And if we are not raising our finger to point at God, to say, this is my God, and I will worship Him, they will not experience the loving kindness of God. And the Spirit of the Lord came so we can raise our finger and point to God and say, this is my God, and I will worship Him. So people will come and say, wow, your God is great. Your God is amazing. So when I read Psalms, this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, As for me, I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Why? Because sometimes we ask for Santa Clara First Baptist Church to grow. You know, God, Lord, give us more members. Give us more money. More life group, more leaders. It's so narrow. And God's saying, yeah, but I'm, going, I'm willing to give you the world. I'm willing to give you the ends of the earth. So we sit here like the lame beggar. Asking for money. When God can give him a leg. And walk. You think that if you just make a little bit more money, your life will get better. You're thinking, if I can just add a little bit more to my paycheck for these two weeks or a month, my life will change. But God is saying, why don't you get my goodness? 
so that my goodness will follow you all the days of my life. You want gold? I'm offering you grace and goodness. You want money? But I'm for offering you the Almighty. You want silver? But I'm offering you salvation. And sometimes we get stuck at wanting the money just to add a little bit more to our paycheck so our life will be perfect. Where God is offering a leg to you, not the silver and gold. Would you take it? But we look at the bowl of misery waiting for the clanging sound of gold and silver, hoping that they will change our lives. God saying, look up to me. I will give you the nations. I will give you the ends of the earth. This can happen only when we have the Holy Spirit. Without Him, it's not going to happen. So it's a song that breaks the darkness, that creeps through the crack of the rock, the hole of the cave, and stretch his hand and pull you out of darkness. And the Holy Spirit is doing this work. I'm going to let you hear this testimony, how the Holy Spirit brought a young man out from the dark life into his marvelous light. You're going to hear this. And as I was preparing this sermon, then the song came to me. Let the king of my heart. Right? The king of my heart. He is my song. We will sing that too. I, I want you to be ready. Listen to what God is saying. And here's Mark. Let's welcome Mark. Just bless our people with what the Lord has done for you. Well, hi, everyone. Um, my name's Mark. A lot of you here know me, and uh, some of you here have actually known me for most of my life. Um, but something that a lot of you do not know about me is that for, most of my li- for a lot of my life, I've struggled with depression, anxiety, and alcoholism. And for some time, I wasn't ready to admit those problems to myself or to God, and I turned my back on him. I drank for a whole year to numb my pain, and I started to attend church less and less because I was straying farther from his love. But I want to talk to all of you today about how I found his love and forgiveness again. Some of you may have noticed that I was missing for about a month. During that period of time, I was hospitalized because I had begun thinking about taking my own life. It was during that time that I met another gentleman like me, He had been drinking for his whole life and ruined a great deal of it by doing so, and he was thinking about ending his own life as well. But he had something that I didn't have. He believed that God would forgive him, that God still loved him, and that God could heal him. I talked to this man quite a few times, and it was in these talks that I began to come to terms with my problems and the fact that I might be an alcoholic as well. He was released shortly before me, and I was still unsure if I could be forgiven. But the next day, the pastor came, and he prayed with me. It was after that session that I realized that, of course, God still loved me, and of course, he had always been there for me. I went back to my hospital bed, and I pulled out a Bible, and I started to read it for the first time in a year. I reread the parable of the prodigal son, parable of the lost sheep, 
And then I read my favorite verse that had, when I was a teenager and felt like I had sinned too much or turned away from God, helped me re- remember that he would forgive me. It's Luke 23rd, 39 to 43. One of the criminals who hung beside him hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to the kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. After I read that, I knelt down beside my bed and I cried. I prayed openly to God and admitted to him that I had become an empty shell of my former self, that I was no longer me, and that I had turned away from him and his love, and I had lost my purpose. I prayed for him to fill me again with that purpose, for him to remind me that I had a reason to be here and that my life was worth something. It was like I had just woken up from a nightmare and I could finally see the hands of God reaching out for me to tell me, my son, I have never forsaken you. Welcome home. I felt filled with my purpose again and I started to really admit all of my problems and seek the help that I really needed to get past it. I started to read through the book, um, the AA book, after this, and there are steps that they have in there that you have to take when you're battling alcoholism. Steps three, five, and six really resonated with me, and they are, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of nature. I know now that there is no power on this earth other than a loving and powerful God that can take away my defects, that can make me feel whole, and that can help me and fix me. And the reason I wanted to stand before everyone today and share this testimony is that I know there are other people like me out there. I know that I'm not the only person that feels like I'm beyond forgiveness, that feels like I've strayed so far from the path that God's just stopped caring about me. And I want to let anyone who's feeling like that know that that's just not true, that no matter how far you stray from God, he's always waiting for you with open arms, waiting to call to you again, welcome home. Thank you. So when the multitude have heard the testimony of the lame beggar, then Peter and John said, we're going to pray for boldness that we will speak the word of God. And when they had prayed, then the place was shaken and filled, and the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the word of God was spoken with boldness. I pray that the testimony of the young man will reach you, touch you, that know that God is alive. When I was, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, please. So on Monday morning, I was sitting with four people in my office. And I'm opening and sharing, we're going to do the series in Acts. 
and on the Holy Spirit. Around 9.30 a.m. on Monday morning. And you know what happened? Our building shook. The church shook so loud. And there was a jolt. And I looked at them and said, that's the Holy Spirit. And I was trying to quit. But funny, but they weren't laughing. I think it wasn't funny. And I said, I should have timed this for sermon. The multitude of those who believed were one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostle gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. The Holy Spirit moves and awakens us through songs, through the Word of God, through prayer, pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 2. It says that when God's mighty hand comes, the place will shake. And the enemy will try to do the cleft of the rock, the crack of the rock. They will try to hide. But when God comes here on earth, the place will shake. In Psalm 114, O earth, tremble at the presence of the Lord. In the presence of God, our enemy tremble. And let God and the Holy Spirit be our song today. Let Him be our song that moves us to witness to God. So we can say, yes, He is good. He is good. That He can bring us out from darkness into His marvelous light. Are you willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to be touched by the Holy Spirit? Are you ready to give over your life to Him? Are you ready to give your pain, your sorrow to Him? We're going to have leaders at the back. Karen and others. Gary, they're going to stand at the back. And as we sing this song, Let the King of My Heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain that I drink from. Oh, here's my song. I want you to go and be prayed for if you need. Jonathan and others will be here. Let's stand together. And the Spirit move in one voice, in one unity. Let's praise the Lord that people will know that we worship a living God. That people will know that the Holy Spirit moving in our church. Lives are being changed. People are coming to the Lord and say, Oh God, He's our song. He is my song.